The song we have just sung speaks of the wonderful benefits uh, of experiencing the new covenant in which God writes his laws upon our hearts. When God works to bring life to our souls and puts his statues not only on and no longer on external tablets of stone, but he writes his laws on our hearts. Praise be to God for the benefit of his new covenant uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. This morning, we are going to look at one of the amazing benefits of that new covenant, and it is our freedom in Christ. Some time ago, we took our kids uh, on a tour of the aircraft carrier called the USS Lexington in Corpus Christi. Have you ever been there? Some of you are nodding your heads. It's an amazing experience. Uh, the tour uh, was to, uh, part of the tour was not only to, to get to experience the, all the intricate facets of this massive ship uh, that carries airplanes for times of, of war, uh, but also part of the tour was to watch a documentary of how these aircraft carriers have developed over time. And the technology that they used to have back in the day and the technology they have now on the, the newer aircraft carriers. Uh, the first aircraft carrier that were, uh, that were made were fueled by conventional oil-based engines that were able to sail several thousand miles with a full tank. And that alone was pretty mind-boggling to think about aircraft carriers that were about 1,000 feet long, 24-story high, carrying 50, 60 airplanes on the sea and go on for thousands of miles before they needed to refuel. All that was fascinating until I got to the point in the documentary where uh, they showed the invention of using nuclear power in these aircraft carriers. And what that meant is when they brought nuclear power in the engines of these aircraft carriers is as, that these gigantic thousand foot long, 24 story high carriers were able to, to carry no longer just 50 or 60 airplanes, up to 90 airplanes and be able to sail at high speed for over a million miles. That's, that's just tons of years before they would need to come back to refuel with more energy. And you're thinking, what in the world, the, the amount of, of the nuclear power to be, to be fueling such amazing large ship, large ship for over a million miles and for that equipment to be out at sea for years end before they need to refuel. Amazing. Mind-boggling. Uh, nuclear power is incredibly potent energy. But there's a drawback. If it is mishandled or misused, 
it also has devastating effects for the entire planet. So using nuclear power is an incredible benefit when using rightly. But it must be used with caution so that it will not cause devastation at a wide, wide scale. And just as nuclear power is very potent, the freedom that we have in Christ is a very powerful reality. But if that freedom is mishandled or misused, the effects of that are also devastating both to our souls and to our churches. This morning, I want to invite you to consider the high calling of our freedom. It's a powerful reality. And we learn about how to use this freedom well and the cautions of how not to use it in a, in a wrong way from the passage in the book of Galatians that we are reading next in our sermon series. I invite you to open God's Word this morning to Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, as we consider the high calling of our freedom. It's the shortest text we are going to be reading in this sermon series on Galatians. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, we'll be reading from verse 13 to verse 15. Here's God's word for us this morning. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But... If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. This is God's word for us this morning. Would you join me asking God to bless the preaching of his word and the hearing for our hearts this morning? Let's pray. Gracious Father, you have given us an amazingly powerful freedom that you have exerted for us in Jesus Christ and that through him you have broken the power of death, the bondage of sin, and you have brought us to be considered righteous in your sight, not because of anything that we have done in our own effort, but entirely because of what Christ has done for us. We recognize and declare that this freedom is incredibly powerful. And yet, Father, we also want to hear your word this morning that cautions us not to misuse this freedom. We pray that you speak to our hearts in a way that frees us. We, we pray that you would speak to our hearts in, our, in the eyes of our souls in a way that enlightens us and enable us, Father, to use the freedom in Christ for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you're visiting with us, we are working our way through the book of Galatians. Last week, we were looking at the first 12 verses of chapter 5, and uh, we could summarize uh, what went on last week 
if you remember, if you're with us, if you're not, if you're not with us, uh, we could summarize what Paul did last week as a plea uh, to use their freedom uh, in the right direction, not to squander it, not to turn away from it. Uh, the Galatian churches have been in danger of squandering their freedom, of turning away from it. So Paul, in the passage from last week, cautioned believers, don't squander it. In today's passage, Paul's message is, don't misuse it. Don't misuse your freedom on yourself. That's the message of these verses. Don't misuse your freedom on yourself. Now, this is a high calling of the freedom that we have received in Christ. A freedom not to be used on ourselves. So don't misuse your freedom on yourself. Uh, these verses are the uh, starting point in the book of Galatians. Uh, they are the starting point of the major section that's called the application of Galatians. Up until now, the first five chapters, up until this point, Paul has been mounting argument over argument, argument after argument, to present a case why the Galatians should not give in to the call or the lure of legalism, of seeking to earn their right standing before God by turning back to confidence on the law. And after five chapters of arguments, biblically and experientially from Paul's life, now Paul begins a section of applications. So what now? And the, the section of applications in the book of Galatians begins with this call not to misuse the freedom that Paul has been arguing for up until now. And the message on not to misuse your freedom in Christ has three points. A clarification on the purpose of our freedom. A clarification. The rationale for the correct use of our freedom. The rationale. And then finally, the warning for the wrong use of our freedom. A clarification, the rationale, and the warning. Let's look at each of these moments as Paul unfolds his application argument uh, for how to be using our freedom well. A clarification on the purpose of our freedom. We see this in verse 13. Uh, Paul has to clarify what is the high calling of our freedom in Christ. The way he clarifies the purpose of our freedom is by giving us an affirmation and a denial. Here's what we deny about our freedom, and here's what we affirm about our freedom. Listen first to the denial of what the freedom is not for, and then what the freedom is for. Uh, what is the denial? Verse 13, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Do you hear the denial? Uh, do you hear what freedom was not designed for? The high calling of our freedom is not to live for the flesh. Well, what does that mean? What does the word flesh mean in this case? 
the word flesh in the Greek language has a number of uses. Sometimes it simply means uh, your physical body. The, the parts of your body simply means a f- the, the human body with no spiritual or ethical connotations. At other times, the word flesh can be used with spiritual connotations to mean and to refer to the sinful human nature, to our natural instincts and desires that have been corrupted by sin, by the original sin, original nature that we were born with. In the second meaning, the flesh is our human nature dominated by sin. And this is what Paul envisions in this particular verse when he uses the word flesh. How do we know that? Because if we just read a few verses down uh, to the passage that we'll cover next week in verse 19, listen to how Paul describes the works of the flesh. He says in verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the list goes on. And things like these. What, this is what it means to live for the flesh. It produces these kinds of actions. So Paul issues a clear denial. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Uh, Do not use your freedom as a cover for our sinful nature to have its way. Friends, freedom is an incredibly beautiful gift. It's an incredibly powerful gift. But it can be misused. And Paul wants to say to Christians, don't misuse your freedom on yourself. Paul says, if you are using your freedom on yourself, you are giving an occasion to your flesh, your self-centered instincts, your sinful purposes to just have a free pass. And this is how we're often tempted, even as Christians, to think of our freedom. I can do whatever I want. No one can tell me how to live. One symptom uh, of our wrong view of freedom is when you get irritated if someone else brings up a biblical command that pertains to our Christian life. Or if the ethical commands of the gospel seem to you to be legalistic. If those things irritate you, you might have a misguided view of freedom. Now, we can bring about the ethical demands and talk about them in a legalistic way. That's possible. But there's also a grace-fueled way, a gospel-driven way to talk about the ethical commands of the New Testament of the Bible for us as believers. And if we don't have a category for that, then it's possible that we may actually misunderstand and misuse 
the idea and the definition of the freedom that we have in Christ. Uh, Trevin Wax, um, who is, uh, happens to be a graduate of Emmanuel University and uh, a gifted uh, writer who writes for uh, Lifeway and uh, on the Gospel Coalition website, a uh, number of articles. A, year, a few years ago, he wrote an article on uh, uh, addressing a concept uh, that has infiltrated our society, a concept that's called expressive individualism. I'm not sure if you've heard about the label expressive individualism. Here are some of the symptoms of this concept. The highest good is individual freedom, happiness, self-definition, and self-expression. Here's another one. The primary social ethic is tolerance of everyone's self-defined quest for individual freedom and self-expression. Any deviation from this ethic of tolerance is dangerous and must not be tolerated. Friends, even if you've never heard about the concept or the label expressive individualism, uh, the, the way this concept mushrooms in our society, you're pre-familiar with. Uh, you, we see it around us all day in, ingre- in increasing measures as people are using the notion of freedom to redefine every value of our society. Uh, We are living in a moment in history when freedom is being redefined by our society in ways that are deeply troubling and disturbing. When people want to find and hold on to and, and claim the freedom to define our own pronouns regardless of our biology. But we should never be surprised The roots of expressive individualism did not spring up in the last 10 or 20 years of our society. Uh, Another author by the name of Carl Truman wrote a wonderful book, uh, a heavy reading, not a light reading, uh, The Rise of of the Individual. Um, And he takes on the, the journey how the roots of expressive individualism emerged in the 17th and 18th century. When humanism took on the center stage of defining truth and authenticity. Our society has never hit, has never hit a home run ever in defining freedom for us well, biblically. There's always some dimension of twistedness in the way we define freedom. So we should have never looked to society to define the notion of freedom for us. Yet I fear that Christians all too often succumb to this lure to look at similar ways of societal's definitions for freedom, to live the Christian life according to sinful desires of the human nature, to live however I want to. Instead of using our freedom as an occasion for the flesh, Paul says that the freedom we have been given in Christ is to be used for a different purpose. What is that purpose? It's a freedom that is to be used for serving others through love. Do you see it in verse 13? For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What's the alternative? 
but through love serve one another. This is the purpose for our God-given freedom, to serve one another through love. Now, the irony of this freedom is that the verb to serve in the Greek language is the verb used to be a servant. And this is the irony here linguistically, if you will, if, if you were, if you will that actually God has freed us in Christ so that we would be servants of others through love. Do you see the irony? Freed to become servants of others through love. And to do so not begrudgingly, but in love. Sin and self-centeredness will not want you to act in serving ways towards others. But this is the high calling of our freedom. Not to serve ourselves, not to be an occasion for our self-expressive individualism, but to be an occasion to serve others. Is this how you view the purpose of your freedom? Do you see yourself as a servant of other people in your family? Husbands, do you see yourself as a servant of your wife? Wives, do you see yourself, yourselves as servants of your husbands? Members of Park Hills Baptist Church, do you see yourselves as members of one another? This is the freedom that Christ has freed us for. I was so encouraged this week, hearing of one of our members who spent time with uh, Virginia Rumley, who has been uh, hit by such a difficult and painful grief in the sudden loss of her uh, dear cousin. Um, and one of our members just went to spend time with Virginia so that she would not be alone as she's grieving, serving one another. Or hearing about two members going to visit Grace Sprouse this week uh, in her nursing home uh, because it was Grace's birthday. How sweet to hear members in our congregation give their lives, their time, to look out for each other, for other members, and serve one another. The freedom that comes that you use your week, your schedule, your time, that you would actually put some limits on how busy you are with other stuff, that you put some margins in your schedule, in your week, so you have time, so you have freedom to serve one another through love. The freedom that comes from not being a slave of materialism, the freedom that comes from not being a slave to just rushing to get that next promotion. The freedom that comes to serve one another through love. Oh, my dear friends, this freedom comes not through morality. This freedom comes not by pulling yourselves by the, by the bootstraps. This freedom comes when God exerts 
the power of Christ, which is way stronger and bigger than any nuclear power, to bring life into dead souls, to bring us from the bondage of sin and from death alive with Christ and give us another purpose, give us a new freedom to live our lives no longer for ourselves, no longer for our selfish purposes, no longer for our own self-centered ways, but to live our lives for Christ. It takes the power of God to free people from darkness, from bondage, from death itself. That's why this freedom can only be explained through the power of the gospel. That's why the Apostle Paul earlier in Galatians, when he described the power of the gospel in his own life, even though he didn't use the word freedom, in Galatians 2.20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, in the physical body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul doesn't use the language of freedom in this verse. But the picture of I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live is a picture of being freed. To live for yourself. Don't use your freedom on yourself. This is Paul's first major caution in this passage for us. The high calling of our freedom is not to live our lives for ourselves, but to serve others in love. This is the clarification for our freedom. Let's look at the rationale for the correct use of our freedom. What's the rationale for the correct use of our freedom? Why should we use our freedom to serve one another in love? Look at verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now this law that Paul quotes comes from Leviticus chapter 19, verses 18. Uh, this reason that Paul brings for why we should use our freedom to serve one another in love is a bit puzzling in the book of Galatians. After all, remember, the book of Galatians uh, calls us to find our right standing with God, not by works of the law, but by trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That his death and resurrection for us, in our place, is our only source for making us right with God. So this letter has been arguing that we should seek to be justified before God, not by the law, but by faith in the Son of God. And friends, if, if you have never been brought to a place in your life, in your journey, where you have responded to the gospel of being justified, declared righteous in the, son, in, in the sight of God by faith in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you today to respond to the Lord by trusting in his son, Jesus Christ. And you will be justified by faith in him. This is the message of Galatians. But the surprising moment at this point in the text is that Paul is now pointing us back to the law 
to give a rationale for the good use of our freedom. Paul is not pointing to the law as the basis of our freedom. Paul, Paul is saying that when we practice our freedom well, we're actually fulfilling the aim for which the law was given in the first place. The law is not the basis of our freedom. Christ is the basis of our freedom. Our trust in Jesus is what brings us the freedom. But when we experience that freedom in Christ, it has such a powerful effect on us that it changes our affections inside of us. Away from selfishness, away from self-centeredness, away from self-power, control, instead loving others, loving our neighbors as ourselves. The freedom to live in this way comes not from the law, but from Christ who dwells in us through the Spirit. The law cannot enable us to fulfill the law. The law cannot enable us to fulfill the law. But the freedom Christ gives us enables us to live in such a way that fulfills the aims of the law. Now, some people think that if God commanded us certain things in the Bible, it assumes that we must be able to do it. Otherwise, it would be unfair of God to demand of us to do that which he knows we cannot do. And that is a fault, faulty logic. Because God commands us to do what we were supposed to do, but which we have forfeited to do because of our own rebellion. If we cannot do it anymore, it's not God's problem. It's our problem. And now the law of God is given to us to demand of us that which we are no longer able to do and to prove to us that we cannot depend on ourselves to do it. That's why the lyrics of the song we have sung earlier in the service is that the power to obey God's commands does not come from us. This is one of the promises of the new covenant. The law of God was given not because it assumed that we could live it out, but to show us that we could not live it out, to show us that we need a freedom that we could not obtain for ourselves, that the law itself could not give us, that we must throw ourselves, surrender ourselves into the hands of the God who is able to free us. And now that Christians have experienced the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ we are now enabled by the Spirit of God in increasing measures through faith in Christ to love others and to serve them. F.F. F. Bruce, one of the Bible teachers, said the following, the call to freedom is a call to oneness in Christ and to loving service within the believing community. The liberty of the gospel is not to be exercised in isolated independence. Well, friends, the freedom of the gospel is not a freedom to live our lives in isolated independence, but in a committed love, inviting one another into our lives, committing ourselves to others, and allowing others to commit to us. Friend, if you are in Christ, do you realize that the high calling of your freedom in Christ is loving others as yourself? When the Spirit of God comes to dwell in our hearts, 
through faith and brings us this freedom in Christ, we are enabled to live a distinct freedom and thus fulfill the purpose of God's law. Committing to love one another as yourself is one of the reasons why we practice church membership. Committing to love one another as yourself is one of the reasons why we practice church membership. Church membership is a sign of our love for one another. It's not just a name on a roster, but the sign of a mutual commitment to one another, to open our lives to one another. Thus, the commitment of, of church membership is one of the practical ways we seek to live out our freedom in Christ well. Now, by binding ourselves to each other for the sake of Christ, we actually put on display what that freedom in Christ calls us to do. Oh, friends, I pray that if you have uh, not yet considered committing yourself to a body of believers, if you are saved, if, if you have responded to the call of the gospel, consider committing yourself to a group of Christians. And not just to, to have your name on a, on a roster, not just to attend on a Sunday morning. Consider showing up to the gatherings early so you can talk to people. And don't rush out from the service as soon as the service is dismissed. Consider staying and talking. I know, especially if you're visiting and you don't know people around, it may feel awkward to try to stick around and, and try to get into conversations with people you don't know. Friends, our freedom in Christ calls us to love others as ourselves, inconveniencing ourselves for the sake of getting to know one another. And then considering our freedom in Christ and loving one another, not just when we gather on Sunday for worship, but gathering throughout the week in different ways, whether it's one-on-one -on -one discipleship or small group gatherings or connect groups, we actually commit to loving one another well, to using our freedom in Christ well. When we practice the beauty of just church covenant committed love, that's what we mean by church membership. If you're visiting with us and, and not a member of a, of a congregation that preaches the gospel, we would love to get to know you with a view of, of encouraging you to join us. But if the Lord calls you to go to a different congregation, uh, we want to encourage you to commit to a gospel congregation in our, in our city. But consider that even church membership is a way we practice our commitment to love one another as ourselves. Using our freedom in Christ to love one another had a very specific application for the people in Galatia. Do you know where the rubber met the road for the Galatians when it came to loving each other as themselves? You know, take a guess where the rubber met the road. It showed up in the way they were arguing with one another. In the way they were relating to one another, not simply in fellowship, but what they were doing in those fellowships. They were quarreling with one another. In verse 15, we see the third point. And in verse 15, the third point of our message may seem to be a bit unrelated, like he's shifting gears, a new topic, but it's not. 
He's actually giving the caution of failing to love one another as themselves. In verse 15, we see the third point of our sermon, a warning for the wrong uses of our freedom. We've looked at the clarification for the purpose of our freedom. We looked at the rationale for the correct use of our freedom. Finally, the third point is a warning for the wrong use of our freedom. Verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. This warning comes as the opposite effect of the command to love one another as yourself. Now, it's understandable that in a context in which false teaching and and Judaizers were coming in, uh, that theological arguments uh, began arising in the churches of Galatia. And uh, there had to be someone who would call out the shots on, hey, this is, this is a wrong way of teaching. This is going away from the gospel. Yet in discussions that the Galatians were having with one another, their discussions began turning into a fight, not about doctrine, but a fight with one another. You can love the truth. You can want to protect the truth, protect the truth, but go about it in a wrong way, in a sinful way. This is the warning this verse gives. Just because you might be seeking to protect the truth does not ensure you or protect you from doing it in the right spirit or in the right way. Now, the verb to bite refers to causing discomfort or harm with our words or with our actions. The verb to devour refers to speaking or acting in ways that are destructive to others, abusive, harmful. Such behavior is not only limited to our actions, such as physical harm, but also to our words. Words can be spoken in ways that bite others, that devour others. This is a, a metaphor for inflicting harm through our words. If you bite and devour one another. Proverbs twelve eighteen says, There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Friends, have you considered how your words can hurt others or cause them harm? Sometimes we may speak in hurtful ways without intending to do so, without even realizing. Other times we are speaking in hurtful ways and we know it. Because that's exactly what we want to do. We want to get back at the person who has hurt us. We want to get back at them. We want to get back at someone else. Usually, the biting and the devouring happens as a result of the anger and the bitterness and the need for vengeance that rises in our own souls. So we engage in fellowship. But instead of engaging in, in our fellowships to build up one another, we can engage in fellowships to bite and devour one another. Now, remember the Old Testament law that Paul quoted 
earlier from Leviticus 18, uh, 19, if we read the context of that command, we'll understand why Paul is talking about biting and devouring here in Galatians. Listen to the verses of Leviticus 19, right before that command to love one another as yourself. The command says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In other words, the command to love your neighbor as yourself shows up not in a sentimental context. doesn't show up on a Valentine's Day card. It doesn't show up just simply in the, let's have the... Uh, mushy feelings towards one another and just have the Midwestern politeness. You know what I'm talking about? That's not the command to love one another. Loving your neighbor as yourself comes in the context where even the law was calling out for the danger of harboring hatred in your heart, of harboring vengeance, of holding on to grudges. This is the context in which we're called to love one another. And Paul says, if you're not going to take that command of going the path of loving one another as yourself, then watch out if you take the other path of biting and devouring one another. This is what Leviticus was talking about. Letting anger, letting bitterness boil up in you. Paul's caution is that if we engage in biting and devouring one another, we should not be surprised if the effect is self-destruction in a community. When we use accusatory words towards each other, we trigger destruction in our relationships. This is one of the reasons why anger is such a big issue to deal with in our own hearts. Because when we allow the roots of anger to stay in our hearts, we will act and we will speak in ways that destroy fellow brothers and sisters. Friends, we can be zealous for the truth, but fight in the wrong way for it. Wanting to fight for it with our flesh. Wanting to fight for it in our flesh. You can be right in your views and be deadly wrong and sin in how you address them. Even in correcting error. If we demonize our brothers and sisters or always question their salvation simply because they don't agree with a particular opinion or conviction we have, we are in danger of acting in destructive ways towards our brothers and sisters. Just in the way Christians have been addressing the topic of social justice. I trust that all the grenade throwing around has been caused by good motivations. Wanting to protect the gospel from being corrupted. I trust that's the motivation. But I fear that 
in wanting to protect the gospel from being corrupted. Some have fallen into bidding or biting and devouring one another, assuming the worst motivation in each other, assuming the worst agenda of the other. Yes, we must fight for the truth, but we must not fight with one another. Or what about the home front? How many marriages are being destroyed not by infidelity, but by bidding and devouring one another through words, accusations, false judgments of one another? Some of you this morning might wish that your spouse would hear this sermon. But the reality is you need to hear it. Paul is not saying if the other is biting you. Paul is not saying if the other is devouring you. I wonder if you picked up on if you are biting and devouring one another. Yes, others do it to you too. I get it. And when others do it to you, you are most vulnerable to return the favor and do it back to them. I get it. We are most prone to bite and devour others when they do it to us. But friends, before we can address others, we need to ask the Lord to do the work of grace in our own hearts to free us, to free us from our fleshly instincts, to want to protect ourselves in our own way through hatred, vengeance, bearing grudges. So before you think of, oh, let me give this sermon to somebody else so they would hear it, Consider holding on to it yourself for a while and just asking the Lord to do the work of grace in your own heart. Friends, the words that bite and devour can be as simple as a quiet accusation of the other person's character. When you start the sentence with words like, you always, or you never, it's a pretty good indication that what will come out of your mouth will be likely words that will bite and devour. And even if those words don't come out of your mouth, but you harbor them inside your heart, you will act or speak sooner or later in destructive ways to the other person. Withdrawal. Caring no more for what the other. One of the ways you show that you are misusing your freedom on yourself is in your words. In your conflicts. In your quarrels. That is the arena. That is the test that can show you if you're using your freedom well on yourself or you're if it's on yourself, it's not well. 
or if you're using it well by serving and loving others as yourself. By the way, this week I ordered several books uh, for our bookshelves um, and resources that can help you grow in how to fight the urge to use words destructively. If you're interested in them, come and talk to me after the service. There's just too many to, to list in a sermon. But just because you're a Christian does not mean that you know how to handle conflict well. Just because you're a Christian does not mean that you know how to use your freedom well in this arena of personal relationships. And this is why these verses are given to us here in Galatians. Paul is interested to help the believers in these churches know not only how to fight for the truth of the gospel, but to make sure that they don't turn that fight for the gospel in a fight with each other. That's why it's that we have this surprising moment in the book of Galatians that will turn towards watch out how you use your freedom. Friends, this is a high calling of our freedom that Christ obtained for us. To use our freedom not on ourselves, but on serving others through love. The freedom that Christ has given us is more powerful than nuclear energy. If you use it well, it has amazing abilities to heal, restore, build up the body of Christ. If you mishandle it, and if you misuse it on yourself, don't be surprised that devastation relationally and socially will happen. May God have mercy on us, how we use our freedom in Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you know how every one of our hearts this morning has been using the precious freedom you have obtained for us through Jesus. Father, you know how often our own hearts play the judge, play the victim, vindication, the arbitration in favor of our own selves for all that is going on wrong around us. Father, there's no, there's no place or reason for us to try to hide the times and the ways in which we are misusing the freedom you have given us in Christ. But Father, by your spirit and by your grace, would you remind us as you have through your word, to understand and know how to use the freedom you have given us in Jesus. Free us from the bondage to our own selves. Free us from, the, from thinking that we can use our freedom to serve ourselves more than others. Enable us by your spirit to live a life that reflects the love you have shown us in Jesus that we would reflect that love towards one another in sacrificial ways, in committed ways. Bind our hearts to you, O oh Lord, we pray. And enable us to be a church and a congregation that truly is an embassy of the freedom of Christ by the way we serve one another through love. 
We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen.